Hi, I'm Marcus Dip Silas. And I'm Jaffif Chu. You're listening to the Dip Chu Podcast. On the Dip Chu Podcast, we host honest conversations about faith and church. We also speak to guests from around the world and explore what it means to follow Jesus. We're excited to be on this journey of listening and learning. And we hope that you are too. Follow the guilty verdict for Derek Chauvin. A little bit enough to know that he was convicted lah of all three charges, and uh, people are calling it uh, a good attempt on justice. As in, it's a start lah. Like it's not, it's not the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, I'm seeing like three very different responses. I'm seeing the justice has been served. Did you hear Nancy Pelosi's prayer? No, I didn't. She prayed when she prayed to George Floyd. She said, "Thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for justice." <laughs> and there was this like big reaction. I mean, also from from my own side, I watched it and I was like, "This woman just, <laughs> I think she's at the risk of sounding geriatric. Like, she just needs to retire and mm. spend time with her grandkids. Like, it's just she's so old mm. and does. I don't even think she knows what she's saying. You know, like George Floyd didn't want to give his life. You know, like." Maybe if she had put "Thank you, Jesus, for sacrificing your life," right? mm. that would be different. But thank you, Correct. George Floyd, for sacrificing. I just found it really, I don't know. I found some of the comments just mm. uh, from politicians just really predictable. Mm. Really, you know, kind of. I didn't look. I wasn't looking at politicians' comments, uh. mm. um, but I've I've seen where people have responded with this, like, "Oh, justice has been served." Again, racism is dead. It's not like they've never been charged in court. I mean, they've hardly been charged. They've hardly been charged. Yes, number one. But number two is they've never been charged with murder, specifically to do with on being on the job. Mm. Killing someone is against the law, but there are people who are given special permission to exercise that kind of violation, right? Like police or soldiers, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I've seen the ones who are like. Justice is served. Mm. Everything is done. The good fight has been fought, and we have won. And then the second one, mm. the second response is like you mentioned. You know, this is a good start for healing, right? Like it's a good step in that direction. And then the third response, of course, is denial, um, dismissing. Is that what the Republicans are responding? Some of them. I mean, the pundits, the Republican pundits, for sure. Like, um, the Candace Owens tribe. Dinesh Souza tribe. Yeah, they've been just been talking about how you know it was a very emotionally driven trial, and it was a very emotionally mm. driven trial. I didn't listen to it because I didn't feel like I wanted to relive some of the, the what I saw in the videos mm. and the initial like what happened last year. I just read the brief like summaries of the daily kind mm. of trial. It it is a step forward, I would think maybe. Mm. I had a friend who. Uh, Posted that he is relieved, but it's not like rejoicing relief. It's like relief, like he's been holding his breath mm. for so long because he was actually not sure that they would convict. They would. They would. They would uh, uh, give the guilty verdict. 
So he's relieved that at mm. least surface wise they can still see it's like something in the system. But mm. also again to to point out that everyone who testified yeah. testified against this one officer as though it was this one officer who is the only bad apple and not the system, right? So someone was saying like, yeah, of course the system will groom you, use you, and then chew you up and spit you out mm. um, and betray you at the end. You know, people who are loyal to the system will, will mm. sacrifice you even though you were working in the confines of the system. We have seen as Southeast Asians mm. and Malaysians who follow Jesus, profess Jesus to be um, the only way of salvation, mm. um, where in a country we are surrounded by myriads of religions that expound different ways, um, mm. the church in particular has been impacted a great deal mm. by the West. Yeah. And, and even to go as far as, you know, I would use the term, um, we, we have a certain romance with Anglophilia, um, mm. very Anglophilic tendencies, very, um, the tendency to esteem things that are from the West higher than, you know, whether it's schools mm. of thought, yeah. training, you know, experience of Malaysians here in Malaysia itself. Mm. What do you think about that? No, I agree with you completely. I think there is a almost like we view um white pastors, white speakers, we put them on a pedestal, we invite them to our church camps, our pulpits, our conferences, and we almost like over glorify them, you know, we just take in whatever they say, we go, that's amazing. And we live out our faith based on a white gospel. It's I, I don't think it's just Malaysia. I think it's maybe a Southeast Asia thing, you know? Um, or possibly even bigger than that, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a it's a colonized mindset for sure. Um, there are certain things that have been inbuilt into how we do church. And mm. I that's why I, I really enjoyed this particular conversation um with mm. our guest. Dr. Ng Unyi. Because we talked about, we explored some of those things about mm. the education system in Malaysia, right? The training in Malaysia. And yeah, that's correct. How people seem to esteem more those who come from overseas. You know, it's mm. so interesting. Like from even for myself, I went to a, a private liberal arts college that is really unknown. And even in Christian communities, it's not, you know, when I said I'm going to the U.S. Mm. for Bible school and a lot of people within the charismatic community were like, oh, Christ for the Nations? Oh, are you going to um, Oral Roberts University? Or are you going to mm. Liberty? Are you going to Biola? Like all these big names. Are you going to Wheaton? You know, all these places, right? Mm. And no, I didn't go to any of those. I went to a really small, unknown, little private liberal arts college. But mm. somehow... My degree there, you know, when people find out about it, I'm still esteemed a little bit higher than someone who, let's say, graduated with a master's from mm. STM or um, MBS mm. here in Malaysia or even um, uh, BCM, right? Bible College of Malaysia. Mm. 
and and that has propelled me ahead um, in my own life where I'm given a particular place to speak because I went to a white institution. What has your experience mm. been with this? Mm. Um, no, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, growing up, you know, going to church and going to conferences and camps, it's, it's almost like it's normal. It's, it's accepted that like, oh, okay, you know, who's that, who's that white speaker coming to town, you know? And um, our faith is so much influenced, our songs, our sermons, you know, by Hillsongs, Planet Shakers, Bethel, IHOP, you know, basically um, the Western church. And everything we do comes from that lens as well, you know. Now, I don't think it's everyone. I think, you know, um, there are some people who, you know, like, like they are, they are searching, you know, they're going into like Greek and Hebrew, the language and like, you know, Jewish culture, etc. It's, it's, it's just something that maybe consciously or unconsciously, we just kind of like accept it, you know, it's a gospel that has come to us primarily from the West. Yeah. And yeah. so the, the people you mentioned are very more charismatic because on the other mm. side, you have the very reformed or the very mm. word-based pastors too, like John MacArthur, John Piper, um, R.C. Sproul, yeah. you know, all these different people who are anti-right, right? And, and mm. there's nothing wrong per se with their teachings. Mm. But yeah. However, in order to understand most of it, we have to apply a very Western lens. Yes, correct. You know, and, and sometimes I think that the, the issue for me is I have seen Malaysians expound some of these people's theologies and my, re like my mm. reaction is, but, but you don't actually understand what they're saying because mm. you don't have this particular cultural lens. Correct. It's not accessible to you. Like someone who's never been to yeah. the US, someone who's never studied, you know, a Western way of thinking, it's always still going to be a little bit flawed because it's not their main mm. cultural point of view right when yeah. you're touting someone else's cultural points of view you know and you have come to understand it a certain way or i have come to understand it a certain way but it's not necessarily the way that the person yeah. intended it right and so That's i true. see a lot of people agreeing with some of the stuff that they read or hear from some of these famous pastors which when when i hear them actually talk about their own faith i'm like this doesn't make sense with what you just preached or what mm. you just said. Yeah. You know, because your cult your cultural self, whether you realize it or not, is showing. <laughs> mm. yeah. 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 No, no. I completely agree. And so I think hence comes the challenge. Like how, how do we explore what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ from, you know, our our own cultural lens, you know, um, from our own, you know, context, you know. Um, and how do we also at the same time understand, um, how would I put it, um, the original, you know, like like the OG, right? The OG of, you know, what Christianity looked like, you know, which I believe is actually closer to an Asian you know, Middle Eastern. African, yeah. Yeah. Basically not know, white. <laughs> basically not white. Yeah, it's true. It's true. We have come to accept 
that Jesus is a white man and Christianity is a white man religion. And that cannot be further from the truth. You know, but also at the same time, right, I have found that certain Germanic tribal ideas... So I think maybe if I were to look at it, like I see proper white, like whiteness mm. that has been... And of course, this is... We are two... I'm brown, you're banana. <laughs> We're talking about whiteness, right? Yellow. We don't have direct experience, but we have a perceived reality of it. And I see like proper white. Proper white is like British or proper white is like American, right? Like these somehow are the most, in terms of Western culture, they've kind of become the dominant cultures because they maybe speak the loudest. But, you know, in Switzerland or in Germany where I have um, been with believers i find a more egalitarian culture of 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 faith you know a more egalitarian faith culture where they are more um open to tribal ideas and i think it's because you know the german people before they were even organized into a nation um by the prussians and and all the different world wars they were essentially tribal people right and and then i look at the irish and the scottish um, uh, uh, richness of faith, right? Like the Irish spirituality or the the the, the Celtic way of, and the Gaelic way of 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 understanding spirituality. I mean, most of the spiritual formation stuff comes from these places, and they are white too, right? But they have somehow, because of their lived experience or even their ancestry, they have more tribal collective ways of viewing life and through that also viewing the scripture so you know in in terms of whiteness it's not like every white person i feel like it's dominantly mm. the american culture and the correct the maybe the more colonizing cultures right because yeah, you correct. know a, a lot of um a lot of white people were also colonized by other mm. white people um correct. so i think yeah there, there is complexity in that but i agree with you like this is essentially where we've mm. come to of all of that. So even mm. more, this conversation that we had with Unyi was was very much, I think, needed. Like we we at least needed someone to articulate um, some of the things that we're thinking but have never had the time to intellectually plot out. And I feel like he, he articulated very well, um, mm. you know, what, what we have been thinking about and even talking about. Uni is our friend, but beyond that, he's also in academia. And without further ado, here is Professor Uni. So today we have with us um, Ng Uni. Um, Uni is the husband of but one wife and father to two young boys. He's a Malaysian Christian of Chinese descent and really doesn't like how much thought needs to be put into each of those labels. I think we, we really feel you on that. He'd really rather spend his time programming or playing games, but practically dictates that he has had to do a degree, a master's, and a PhD in engineering. He likes teaching, but mainly because he's never really been able to not talk about interesting things, even if no one wants to listen. <laughs> but sometimes people do listen, and that helps a lot. Welcome to the Dip Chill Podcast, Uni. We're really happy to have you. Happy to be here, guys. Yeah. Nice to see y'all again. I haven't seen y'all in quite a while. I haven't seen you since 2008, man. <laughs> Wait. Do you yeah, remember? Yeah, it, it's been ages. <laughs> wait, wait, yeah. wait. 
Where do you guys meet each other again? <laughs> um, Children in Prayer Conference in Penang. Oh wow! Yeah, exactly. Unyi was one of the musicians. I, I think I've actually seen your brother, not met, but seen your brother physically more recently than I've seen you. It, it's been a while, but of course that's why we have social media, and uh, it's good there. You don't see the person, but you see their words. <laughs> so Unyi, correct me if I am wrong, but you are a pastor's kid, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so. That's a bit complicated. So the bite-sized version is that my parents have always been involved in ministry. Growing up, we were in Kuala Lipis because my father was working there. Uh, yeah, I just opened the clinic there. So, but being one of the educated ones, uh, he effectively led the church. He was not a pastor, but he was one of the leaders in the church. Uh, then when we moved to the Klang Valley uh, for educational purposes, I was... Uh, six at that time and then we joined the church that I'm still at. My parents had roots here because uh, when they were in their university they attended uh, this church. They've always been leaders in the church and so the standard stuff like you will come for meetings, you'll be sitting at the back and try not to make noise uh, but the, I've only been a proper pastor's kid in the last 10 years actually when my father actually became the pastor. Uh, before that he's one of the leadership team he would preach and all that but not the, the man pastoral role. He's retiring end of the year. So then, 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 then we can remove that. So what was that like for you growing up? Did you, I mean, obviously in Malaysian church culture, at least um, pastors and leaders, their children are um, held to a higher standard. <laughs> than regular kids. At least that was my experience. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's, um, that is quite true. But I guess uh, personality-wise, I'm quite a people pleaser in that sense. So I don't think I minded very much the so-called uh, attention and expectation because it, it didn't actually feel very difficult to live up to them. I was always very practical. I guess the biggest challenge is because our church is not fully charismatic, uh, but like many Malaysian churches, uh, even though we are so-called Methodist denomination, um, when the Spirit came, it took up a lot of churches in a way that it probably did not for certain other nations. And so um, from a young age, you have this uh, intercession and, and all this type of uh, stuff. I think the expectations in terms of the move of the Spirit was the ones which was uh, much harder to deal with. You know, the whole thing about, okay, uh, do you speak in tongues? How how close are you with the Lord? Rather than the behavioral stuff, which I think for me was uh, never much of an issue. I'm always like, let's stay within the lines type of uh, uh, person. So mm. more of the expectations of spirituality, uh, if, if, if that's the right word for it, um, which came along with the like semi-charismatic nature of the church at that point in time. This is like the, the mid-90s, you know, uh, lots of that going around. Mm. Has that changed in your observation? Well, you've you, and you've said you've been with this church since you moved to this area. Is it still the same? Yeah, so I'm now 36, so I've been in this church for three decades now. Mm. Uh, yes, I, I think that the change has been noticeable. Um, I think within the last 10, 15 years, it's not a rejection of uh, the charismatic tradition. I mean, eventually now we call it a tradition uh, because it's been a while. Um, but I guess uh, a bit of a step back to say that, you know, some of the traditions are, have value mm. and some structure is important as well. Uh, not everything 
should be or needs to be spirit-led. So uh, there was a period of time in the late 90s, early 2000s, where every worship service, every worship leader is almost an expectation that you would have this free worship mm. uh, and it would involve someone speaking in tongues uh, and maybe there will be a prophecy released. Generationally, um, that changes over as well. Uh, we have had certain things which happen in the church where uh, some leaders leave for various reasons, theological or otherwise. Uh, but what is ended up with after all the the turning and to and froing is that we still do have times of free worship, but it's not every week. Um, they've gotten noticeably shorter. And this is pre-COVID. Of course, COVID has totally changed everything. Um, we still intercede, but the intercession is much more comprehensible. The church has always had a focus on praying for, for the lost, for the nations. Uh, and um, you see much less speaking in tongues. Uh, it is still something very acknowledged within the church, but it is no longer, I guess, almost like pseudo-required when you're on, on, on stage. Mm. I, I don't think it's controversial at all in my church. Uh, I, I know some of the more traditional churches mm. who still find it controversial. But I think in general, in the Malaysian church, it's just accepted, but it's not, it's not hip anymore. People have processed this and said that, you know, this is a good thing, but it, it, it does not make you holier. And when you actually stand back and look at it, it doesn't normally add a lot to the congregation. And so I guess we have returned to what from the start, a lot of the more traditional churches were saying that this is something you practice in private. So we don't mandate that, but in practice, it tends to go towards that direction. A bit of changes over the years. I'm just thinking back to the moment that I felt like things changed for me, being in the charismatic church, being someone who very much encouraged the expression of the gifts and all of that. I mean, I've always kind of known that a lot of the influences in the Malaysian church comes from the West. Like um, some of the, the Zionist tendencies <laughs> to only use the word Yeshua versus using Jesus or <laughs> to blow shofars, tambourines. I mean, I went for a tambourine convention when I was like 10 years old. I was the only boy. I still know the steps to some of these. Oh, and they are, each of the steps has like a name is Grace or something, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Like praise, grace, hope. Yeah. I, and, and and so like that was kind of the world I was steeped in with flags, you know, all these things. Um, and, and I was very much comfortable in it right up till the moment when I really felt alarmed that I saw even in Malaysia, many Malaysian pastors vocally supporting Trump. I mean, even recently... This um, Dr. Michael Brown, um, who writes for uh, Charisma and all these different charismatic websites, and he has a few books, calling out evangelical Christians who voted for Biden, saying like, well, at least <laughs> Trump listened to the evangelicals. At least Trump was uh, kept his promises to the evangelicals. And so for me, that that was another moment where I look back and, and, and see like, wow, in the last five years my views have, have I wouldn't say swung, I would say have corrected. I think I was kind of like <laughs> the Bitcoin graph for so long going up, right? And then it's like, no, now it's, I feel like I'm less, less extreme in that sense. So I just want to like hear your thoughts. When did you come to that point for, you know, realizing that? So I guess uh, 
connected to what I was talking about uh, just now, when you talk about the expectations of a, a pastor's kid, I've always been less comfortable with the spiritual aspects of things. I've always been more comfortable with doing something. The problem being that within the church, when you play music, that is spirituality. And you have to learn to play in a spiritual way and to be sensitive in the spirit. And it's expected when you're on that stage, the worship leader is supposed to be the most sensitive, but as a musician, especially as the head musician, when you're experienced, that you need to uh, be sensitive to the spirit. And so you can close your eyes. I had not, I've never had problems playing while closing eyes, but the expectation with, within the church is you close your eyes and you know God is appearing there and he's speaking to you and now you should do this. Um, this is how worship is going to be. And he's talking to all of you at the same time. And if you're all on the same frequency, this is what's going to happen. Um, that part has never very much resonated with me because I think it does not fit with my personality. Uh, I'm a maths geek, uh, science science fella, and I, I I like with my children now. I really love explaining. Hey, this is how things work. This is why. This is the nuts and bolts. And spirituality, by its by definition, cannot be explained in that way. It is an experiential thing, and 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 so I guess I I feel uh, a sort of detachment there, perhaps a bit of fear, to be honest. Uh, so I've never actually been all in and I enjoy playing music, but I, I see music as an expression of certain parts of my soul in that sense. And it's a very mathematical thing for me. I love beat and things like that. I don't see it very much as an artistic thing. I see it as more of a mathematical thing. That's just perspective. Of course, like everybody else of the generation, like Planet Shakers would come into town and we would all go and jump and like sweat, sweat out mm. and, 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 and yeah, we'd be on fire for <laughs> Jesus and listen to the sermons and give of our offering, you know? So uh, mm. these things would um, happen. But I've never really identified very much with like uh, where y'all are much more active in your the house of prayer um, and things like that. I've seen my role within the church as, you know, I, I like to be the deacon, you know? Um, let's let's do things uh, something which is tangible which I can measure uh, and I will let the more spiritual people do the spiritual things so in a sense the divorce for me was not very big when Trump uh, came on the scene uh, 2015 or so before the church had any particular um, opinion on him uh, as a practical matter looking at him from afar I guess in Malaysia here I was like you know some disruption is good because our own location, uh, local politics uh, is has always been frustrating for me, right? So seeing through the lens of a Malaysian, uh, I guess, hey, this guy, he, he wants to be a bull in the China shop. Go ahead. I mean, um, I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of love for, for America as a nation, especially politically. Uh, and and, and just, just in the view of how much of our culture is subservient to Diaz, uh, but as things went um, on, I guess, uh, and initially I, I, like, I love reading this comic called Dilbert, uh, the author of Hit Whom Scott Adams um, very quickly positioned himself as a, one of the prime Trump supporters. And he had this uh, pseudo psychological theories about why Trump was definitely going to win. And this was like when Trump was still that long shot candidate. So initially I had fairly positive um, vibes but then just when you start seeing the things and hearing the things that he said, uh, that was a bit of a turnoff. 
Uh, although, of course, locally, we are very familiar with politicians telling lies. But yeah, but I, I guess when I started seeing how the church in the US was reacting to him, uh, that was more disturbing than him himself. Right? Of course, in, in early in 2015, 2016, yes, he would say ridiculous things, but that's common. In, in a sense, some of us are quite dismissive. Ah, Americans, they are like this. They, they like to speak bombastically. Uh, but when you see the church leaders um, and the Christians, like the same people who, who was that Mormon who, who got the nomination, the previous one? Uh, what, what was his Mitt name? Mitt Romney. Yeah, Mitt Romney. And the same church leaders who raised questions about Mitt Romney because he was a Mormon. Uh, and then suddenly they are all in on, on, on this man. And, and that was when I said, you know, this is, this is not very right. And I think we didn't, one of the things I'm thankful for in this uh, period of time, uh, my father is definitely um, uh, quite a bit more conservative than me. Uh, I, I respect him very much. Basically, I learned just about everything from him. That, that, that's what a father figure, a spiritual father figure uh, does. But one of the things we, the conversations we had leading up to 2016, that he he indicated uh, some level of support as well for, for Trump, uh, saying that, the US needs something like this to shake things up. Uh, that there's just way too much which is wrong uh, within their their system. And then of course the unthinkable happened. He 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 won. Um but within the year after that, I think for my father and various other leaders as well, um however conservative they might be uh, in terms of um personality, I guess being distant from the US, you can actually see that not everything is right with what he does. And, and, and you start seeing a growing uh, gap between what he's actually doing and what the church is responding to. And that reinforced, in, in the sense, my opinion that the US church only really cares about um, Roe versus Wade. It only really cares mm. about... Uh, yeah, actually... There, 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 there isn't any particular issue. Maybe guns, but guns isn't actually a Christian concern, more a GOP mm, concern. Gay marriage. But the church seems to, yeah, gay marriage as well. Um, so these two things uh, have, they seem to be the, the, the line in the sand that the mm. church has drawn. And there are speakers who come here, draw the same lines in the sand for us. Uh, the, the very well-respected people who speak in our churches. I actually had to unfollow one of these uh, uh, leaders because of how much he was, uh, and this wasn't even about gay marriage. He was just, he and his wife were promoting how useful guns were and, and how much guns were right. And they're British, you know? They're, they're mm. not even American. And, and I guess the, the only disappointment that I feel is that these are respected people. These mm. are, are, mm. are people that, people of God. Uh, I, and, and, and even now, I would say these are people of God who have a connection and heart for service. But there is something not right uh, with how some of it is expressed. That troubled me. It still troubles me. But yeah, within the local Malaysian context, I guess we have much more variation, which allows for some type of conversation. It does not seem, I guess, to be that way in the evangelical circus in the US. I have a friend who has gone there, gotten married there, and he's just left the, the evangelical church. He's gone to some uh, Presbyterian, slightly more woke church because mm. he just... Like you just can't stand it. These mm. are people of the same tradition that we grew up with, but you you, you cannot identify with them at all. Mm. 
just bringing it back to the whole um, American evangelical evangelicalism. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm, I'm not saying it right. Evangelicalism. Too many <laughs> syllables. Yeah. Evangelicalism. <laughs> evangelicalism. <laughs> and also the, you know, the the um, the Malaysian expression, I guess, of the Christian faith. Um, you mentioned once in a Facebook comment um, that much of the Malaysian faith is affected by the export of American evangelical <laughs> evangelicalism, Evel- American Christianity. Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, but I would have to interrupt there, Marcus. I'm sorry, but uh, I don't think it is Christianity. I think one of the things that we like to claim in the evangelical mm. church is that we are the only way. Not Jesus is the only way, yeah. but um, so mm-hmm. I, I'm, we are mostly familiar here. Yeah, the, there's always the debate, yeah. which happens even now. That you know, are the Catholics really Christian? Uh, are the Anglicans really mm-hmm. Christian? Because they are almost Catholic. Oh, mm-hmm. the Presbyterians, the Baptists, they are fine. You know, uh, they they are just a bit old fashioned. But the Catholics, oh, let, let's think about this. So, mm. Uh, mm. I would say evangelicalism because to say Christian is to feed mm. into a narrative which I think has been harmful. Uh, mm, for sure. years and years yeah. now. Mm. I agree with you. I was finding an easier <laughs> word for Jason. Good luck, Jason. I can't pronounce that word. Okay, so <laughs> there's too many syllables. Okay, so anyway, back to that question. So you mentioned um, once that much of the Malaysian faith is affected by the export of the American evangelical. <laughs> That <laughs> just say evangelical <laughs> church, evangelical church, right? Of America, um, especially yes. in regards to eschatology and support of Trump and the GOP. So, in your opinion, why is that? So, I, I'm no expert to speak on this, but I see it as just a hangover from colonialism. I'm in academia. The top destinations for our children, the the Western educated middle class English speaking children is somewhere in the UK. You need to go to London mm. or you need to go study in the US. If you are very Christian, you go and study in one of the Christian colleges. Uh, I don't know, Liberty, whatever, wherever it is, right? In, in, in the US, we turn, oh, that's where uh, all these famous people come from. And so this is the finishing school for us. In the same way that it was um, back in the 1800s, where the, the best and brightest would go to London and be educated with very useful education, but also be educated in the culture of the uh, colonizers. And I think this continues. Yes, we have independence now, but our political leadership is almost to a man uh, educated in in, in white countries. Our church leadership, when when they get their seminary, um, those who are fortunate and good, uh, it is in foreign lands and mainly Western lands. So it is no surprise then that our faith is Western-centric. Uh, mm. It always surprised me how much um, our local preachers would reference the culture wars when we are such an Islamic country and that like it, it is totally different uh, from us. It, for, mm. for, for, for the issue of LGBT and LGBT agenda, it will be copied lock, sock and barrel from what a white preacher would say when the LGBT in Malaysia, even if you believe that uh, the US has this secret conspiracy of uh, LGBT who's trying to change the nature of society, there is no way I think that you can say the same thing in such a conservative place as Malaysia. But we were just talking mm. about the same things 
And I remember when a church opened up in KL, the first openly uh, gay church. I remember. Uh, I can't remember who they opened. Yeah. yeah and then there was this ball pastor, right? Those are the two gay men as the pastors. Yes. And wow, the, the conversations within the church, like, oh, this is the agenda, trying to bring it here. And it, it just, well, this is Malaysia. Like, like, do you not see how different things are here? Is this literally just mm. a suburb of New York? No, we are not. We, there's so much which is different, but we behave like it isn't. Mm. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of... And, and I guess also like the books that we read, the preachers that we follow, they are primarily uh, Western. And mm. of course, historical reasons, but that means that everything that happens in, in the US has much more play than something which happens in our neighboring Indonesia, um, in in churches in Yangon. They, they, these are not going to hit us with the same directness as something happening in New York mm. or Los Angeles or whatever. Well, and and we even process those issues through like even though they are our neighbors, we lend a perspective from the West, right, to look at it. Yeah, of course. We end up looking <laughs> at at international relations through the perspective of the West. We end up. Uh, looking at church issues through the perspective of the West, like, and you're talking to two Western Bible school grads <laughs> here. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. So, and that that's the thing. Uh, I believe there's a good reason why. So, I mean, in academia, uh, I definitely respect those who have come back from the the top, your Oxbridge people. There is a good quality of education. Uh, which was uh, brought back. Just like I, I will forever be grateful for those missionaries who have um, sacrificed and come to the boondocks here to share a faith which my my forefathers did not know. But along with that comes that baggage, and I think it's that baggage which is uh, an issue. Um, we are mm-hmm. all of us here are Christ followers, and I, I don't think we would change anything which would have brought Christ to our families and our nation. Uh, but Christ. Mm-hmm in this case, did not come like magically with no strings attached. And it, I think it's these strings which mm. um, frustrate uh, me when when I look at our church. Mm. I was just having a conversation yesterday with someone who expressed this uh, tiredness or, or kind of this query, the reason why, why do we still need to talk about post-colonialism? Like it's in the past, let's just leave the past and move beyond. Um, you know, and, and and what you just mentioned about how it's so ingrained into our mindset, right? Uh, I mean, the very reason why um, parents send their, their, their children to um, institutions overseas is because a degree coming from the US or from England, no matter how small or weird the school might be, <laughs> is often still prized over the education that's here. And for some reason, I mean... You know, we don't have great public educational institutions here that help uh, students develop critical thinking, mm. um, right? It's still very much to memorize everything, regurgitate. Here's the rubrics for the exam. As long as you have all these points, you'll score the points. So definitely, like, there is this niche of when you go to a Western country or the students, graduates coming from Western schools, they tend to be more developed um, in terms of their critical thinking if they didn't spend all the time partying, if they didn't go to a party school. Um, and <laughs> and that's why it's prized, right? But it's also a, a very anglophilic part of our society. Yes, it is. 
I didn't have a question there. I was just expressing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but on on the matter of uh, so this is of course something that's close to what I do uh for for a living. So we educate engineers and we 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 send them um to work. And uh, actually, when I see the students that we have, we definitely have those with the qualities that the employers are seeking. Uh, but then it becomes a a matter of generally they are not going to be paid. The, the same way, even if they have those qualities. Uh, so that there are economic motives uh, as well, where a lot of these uh, students will find themselves jumping between jobs or setting up their own thing or going overseas if, if, if they have these qualities. So those who remain are, of course, those mm. who are of uh, lesser caliber. And so that, that has to do with the minimum wage, with how local uh, labor is priced yeah. uh, versus um, those who are educated overseas. And that, that, that's a whole... It's very complex and it's mm-hmm. outside the the what what we normally talk about within the church. Uh. But of course, professionally, that then and there's always a conundrum for us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, to relate it to the church, right? That that quote unquote brain drain looks like small churches that raise up the musicians, raise up the leaders, raise up uh people of caliber. And then they move to the cities. You know, my parents' church is a small church. Um, we have a handful of millennials. Um, and most of them who were raised up, who, you know, that I, 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 as a musician, I have trained every time I came back over the years from the US or came back from travels, I had to train a new musician. Because the one that was trained four years ago, finished high school, went to college somewhere else, got a job and it's not coming back. Right. And so for most of us, like that approximation of the skills lost, you know, it is a very, uh, uh, um, it's a reality within church, small church circles, at least. Oh, yes, it is. And that sometimes breeds resentment, right, towards bigger organizations and churches. Yeah. And, and I guess speaking from the perspective of a Clang Valley Church, who benefits to some degree from that, but also experiences a bit of that because a lot of our young adults uh, go to the more happening uh, uh, churches. So you see both sides. Uh, and unfortunately, I think a lot of the resentment, it comes from the fact that there is nothing actually that an individual church leader or in, even an individual church can do about it. And I guess the same thing comes when we are talking about uh, matters of how how anglicized we are. Mm. This is embedded in our culture, in our history. And it doesn't seem to be something that in the short term, we as individuals or mm. our churches, uh, even let's say the bishop or, or whoever he is yeah. of the Methodist church, this is not something that it is possible to change. Uh, and, and this is where actually um, I feel the most... Uh, I would just use the word uh, fear, actually, because uh, I, I think it is actually very possible that we could know and talk about these things, but a lot of them could just be inevitable, something that is beyond our power. And, and so I'll use the Christian terminology, it's beyond our own strength, mm. right? And I don't know, uh, so obviously nothing is beyond uh, God's power, but I don't know whether we are even praying or what we should be praying uh, in this uh, manner because we pray as Western Christians. Yeah. We pray in their language. We pray with their words. Um, yeah, we, 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 we pray almost like Australians, basically. <laughs> and, and all our songs are hill songs. <laughs> mm. 
Well, a lot of us do because that's the closest Western import, um, closest import of um, what mm. we think is cool Christianity, what we think draws people, right? Good-looking white people draw people. And it works if you're, yeah, it, 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 it works if your, your people that you're drawing from are also Anglophiles, which is generally the English-speaking population in Malaysia. Yeah. So it, it works. It, mm. it is practically mm-hmm. useful. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If I may just add then, um, what do you think is the solution then? And um, I, I guess if we're talking about a more um, contextualized faith, um, how does that look like, or, you know, in a Malaysian setting, for example? Okay, so I do not actually try very much to read, um, read theology. Um, anymore. Uh, and that's a factor of many things, including time. But when I was younger, it was always interesting to read certain things. As I, I loved uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, read his biography, read some of his sermons and writings. It was a very opportune moment for me because it was also very clear at that time also, I was becoming fairly concerned about our local politics and the parallels you can see uh, with Malaysian politics and what Bonhoeffer was dealing with in his time. The sort of situation where the church or or different people would want to place it and would not want to take a stand. And I, I, I felt that there were parallels in Malaysia at that point in time. Of course, things have changed in the last decade and now it's quite unrecognizable. But I no longer feel the urge to read the writings of our, our brethren in the West, uh, not because there's no wisdom there. I think there's a lot of wisdom and God's blessing which has been on them. Uh, but it's because I tried to look for, I mean, the two names when you draw out things like this, oh, John Sung, Sadhu Sudha Singh. And there, there is not much beyond that when we are talking about local situations. We have our more modern uh, local Christians who, 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 who write the different pastors, some of them, some of whom are at least my parents know, if, if not I myself know. But when the education is Western, the writing is Western, right? So... And, and what I have found lacking is much consideration about uh, social concerns because I was raised in the, in the, to, to, to believe that the, the social gospel is, uh, is close to a heresy. It's not a heresy, yes, Jesus cared for the poor, uh, but it's close to a, to a heresy that a focus on the social gospel would take away from missions, which is, of course, what every church should be doing. That is the purpose uh, for the church on earth. And I don't find any form of social social justice focus in the theology writings that I'm familiar with and that I read. And so, honestly, uh, in my practice now, I primarily draw from non-Christian sources and non-Christian voices. I was just joking with a friend the other day who, who, who was sharing certain uh, material on her Facebook and saying, you know, I find it a bit worrying that the voices that I identify most with that really hit a chord are either totally non-believers or former believers because somehow what they say seems to resonate more than those who are very strong believers. So one of the words that you all have used uh, previously is deconstruction. I guess it's sort of a deconstruction, but I don't feel a threat to my faith. I guess one of the benefits of a charismatic uh, practice is when you have experienced in some way personally the touch of God, then unless you are really in a very depressed state and, and there's a certain state of mind, 
I guess there's not much to talk about doubt. And so the rest of it is just working out, you know, how does this actually look like rather than wrestling with your faith? Yeah, like, oh, uh, is this real? Is this something that I can really hold on to? So once I'm convinced of that, then I, I, what I find useful is, like you all mentioned, Black Lives Matter. What Most of what I read and hear from that is non-Christian sources, various uh, personalities, activists primarily, and most of whom are, when you look at what they write, they are very anti-Christian. Because again, mm. most of these are centered in a Western context and they find the church to be totally opposed mm. to what they are trying to achieve, to, to fairness and giving a sense of dignity to all men, even those who do not claim themselves as men, even those who are not white. And, and I think these opinions seem much more like Jesus to me. Yeah, so I spent two months um, in a ghetto in Mississippi. I got to build long-lasting friendships with um, some African-Americans. And also throughout my time in the US, I've, I've gotten to meet and gotten to know some African-Americans. And to see the hurt that they were experiencing and then to see the, the willful neglect from many of my white Christian friends um, it came to a point I remember telling my wife, I said, I have no desire to listen to straight white men talk about God anymore. Yeah. Um, I started out uh, in college with almost totally John MacArthur and John Piper books. Like I, because uh, Bethlehem Baptist was about an hour away from, from where I went to college. So I would go to the bookstore every like few months and stock up on John Piper books. And then slowly my my book started to shift a little bit from, you know, like really strong theological positions to more uh, as I changed my major to intercultural studies, it became more contextual stuff. So Don Richardson, Eternity in Their Hearts, you know, um, uh, George Otis Jr. talking about spiritual warfare, like oh seeing like, okay, there's some some stuff here. And then the charismatic world, like um, Danny Still, Culture of Honor, all these guys, Bill Johnson, Benny Johnson. I had I had most of their books, you know, I, I and and that filled my shelf. And then my third year in the US, something just kind of there was kind of a, a I would say it's a it was a latent culture shock, but also kind of a like, where are all the Asian writers? Where are all the 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 people who look like me? Right? I want to hear what they have to say, but I, I couldn't find them in the sections that I was looking at in the bookstore. You know, I couldn't find them in the Christian living section. If you want to hear <laughs> Asian theology, you have to go to a very specific place, you know, and most of the bookstores never carried them. So it began to shift to more, dare I say, interfaith um, writings. Um, you know, I, I have a book. I still have it. I bought it in my third year. It was for a class, but I really drew a lot from it. It's called um, Living Buddha, Living Christ. And it's by this uh, uh, Vietnamese Buddhist monk. And so I drew a lot from that, you know. And then slowly it turned to psychology and turned to more like, I just, I, it, 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 my focus shifts. So by the end of the time, you know, I, I could see the, the, the growth of it. And, and even now, like, you know, my, we just got a book called, um, I started reading it today. It's called Bonhoeffer's Black Jesus. Oh, so it basically looks at the time that Bonhoeffer spent in New York and uh, uh, when he traveled around the U.S. and how 
um, the the fire for resistance, the view that he had of Jesus, um, in come uh, Jesus being real in the place of suffering, and and ultimately the decision he made to be part of the plot to assassinate Hitler came from his time being with black Christians, came from his time visiting black churches. In fact, um, uh, someone I know, uh, someone that I've heard of talk about Bonhoeffer, who studies Bonhoeffer, says that he brought back all these vinyl records from <laughs> the US and played it for his students of black gospel music to show them Jesus in that context. And so it was just fascinating to me that, you know, I... I I mean, we've never talked about this, right, Uni? At least we've not had a conversation about this, but that's kind of been my progression too, where, you know, I really want to listen to what people are saying that are more like me, less white, and at the same time, finding a lot of affinity outside the church, even seeing a lot of Christ-likeness mm. outside the church, which which makes me question some aspects of universalism. <laughs> <laughs> Whether or not it's possible, whether, yes. you know... I, I, I understand that, I understand that. Like C.S. Lewis's idea of anonymous Christians, right? Like that they don't even, might not even know that they're Christian, but their their lifestyles or the things they believe or the people that they are, mm. you know, somehow expresses a lot more of Jesus than, than we see of the self-preservation within the church, even in the Malaysian church, you know, um, even in the segregation of... Our congregations, English, Mandarin, and Tamil, and Bahasa groups where yeah, language -wise. we might share a building. Oftentimes, we have never interacted with them, right? You know, or we might think of, of uh, um, different, there are different languages. Again, that Anglophilic tendency of ours, <laughs> look at the other languages and look down on them. So, you know, the, those realities are also very present um, in our circles as well. Yeah, so... Uh so the, the, the thing about Black Lives Matters is when, uh, because the two of you have experienced life in the US and so you are closer to the subject matter, from an outsider's perspective, of course, it never helps when you just see people parroting uh, whichever side that they prefer. But what I remember striking me at that point is we have one of our church members, a long-term missionary from the US, an African-American lady, and she's part of our worship ministry and, and, and all of that. And she's generally fairly open on Facebook, just on social media, and she'd be posting very Christian things. I remember it striking me how she would just post one or two things and shut down. And it felt to me like a form of self-censorship that in, in that moment, whether what she said would be, because she's very Christian, would be considered Christian enough mm. among her friends. Uh, and mm. the circles that she was in. And, and and that for me was very worrying because I think we see similar things in our local society. There are certain things that as minorities, you just don't speak about uh, until the last few years, I guess. And because everybody knows the contract, everybody knows the score. And so some things you just, you just leave it be. Don't poke at the hornet's nest, right? And 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 for that to be true within the church, I think is 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 sad. Uh, it's very sad. Thank you for listening to the Dip Chew podcast by Marcus Dip Silas and Japheth Chew. 
This is the first part of a two-episode series with our guest, Dr. Eng Un Yi. Find out more about Un Yi in our show notes. Original music for this podcast is created by John Dip Silas. Silence.